Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 80 of the Citrix Session. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. I've got a, I've got a different group today, kind of, sort of. I've got Ben Rogers with me, who's on about every week. Ben is a local sales engineer and also a healthcare uh, sales engineer slash architect with Citrix. Ben, how's it going? Great, Andy. Uh, it's 4th of July week, so I'm looking forward to the holiday. And, uh, man, glad to be here as always. Um. So I'm not going to ask you what you're doing for the holiday. I am not going to ask you where you're going because this is a security podcast that we're doing around uh, a security blog and user experience blog that, that Mike Fouts wrote. Uh, I started thinking about the other day how dumb it is for me um, to ask questions about, hey, when are you going on vacation? You know, what day you're leaving, blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, if somebody, the bad guys wanted to listen, they could just you know wait for you to go out of town and then and then go pillage and plunder your house. Now, having said that, with modern day technologies and ring doorbells and alarm systems and and hopefully like a dog walker and that kind of stuff at your house, uh, you know, you've got things going on around analytics and, and and modern day performance technologies so that, you know, do you really care that anybody knows you're out of town these days? Ben, what, what's your answer to that? I know you're, I call you a security nut all the time. What, what would you say to my new stance of not talking about those types of things? So Andy, at a 30,000 foot view, if you're what I have to worry about when I go out of town in this podcast, then I've got bigger problems than I realize because about the time we hit out of town, my wife, my wife is blasting it on Facebook. So it's out there. Yes. I mean, man, it comes, it comes in many different forms. Um, you know, the biggest thing for me, as far as the asset of my house, All the things that I own that I would care that we get robbed are in a safe. So if the robber could get out with the safe, wow, man, that's that's pretty good without my neighbors noticing. But my neighbor, he's a pretty big home security guy. And so there's cameras all over his house. So I would catch it in one way, shape or form or another. I think I'm pretty laid back on the fact that if something happens, I feel like I'm pretty covered from a financial sense. You know, I definitely am covered my bank. I'm with a Federal Credit Union, their security is, man, as good as any out there. If I have a strange purchase, they're really quick to call me or notify me. So I I don't know if I would mind my uh, vacation information getting out there, but you've made a good point. Uh, I've never really thought about that, especially in an employer situation where you're managing people. What do you ask about them, you know, and and where they're going in the time off? And so an interesting thought, Andy, that's that kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Well, and, and the fact that you answered it the way you did about other mechanisms that's sharing that information, my wife won't let us post anything until we get back from our trip for these very reasons. Um, but that's the, you know, you, your, your user experience comment and how it impacts security is going to tie us right into the blog uh, that Mike wrote. Mike, Mike Fouts is with us. Mike, what's your, what's your latest title at Citrix? I know you've been around a long time. How long? Uh, it was 20 years earlier this year, Andy. So thank you. Thanks for having me, by the way. Um, I, I'm uh, uh, currently carrying the title of uh, Vice President of America's Partner Sales. So all of the channel community and all the partners uh, in the U.S., Canada, and Latin America fall under my responsibility these days. And you know, having that title and then seeing you write a, a, a blog about user experience and security caught me off guard a little bit, but then I remembered that you used to be a consultant. You used to be a sales engineer. You used to manage sales engineers. And I was just having this conversation with my management team a minute ago. The ideal salesperson or someone in a sales responsibility knows enough about the use cases and solving business challenges to be able to do exactly what you've done here, which is, you know, give us an article that that talks through what matters and why. 
Yeah, you're right. So uh, when, when I think back prior to joining Citrix, I was with a Citrix Gold partner, and uh, I came up as a technical, a technical guy. And so uh, I joined the company, uh, the company being Citrix, in uh, early 2001 as a sales engineer. And so I've been fortunate to have a lot of opportunities and progress, but I've always kept some level of aptitude because I a enjoy it and b it's my background and and it's how my brain works. So I've been able to uh, to keep that. I still enjoy dabbling in it, writing an article here and there. And what I really enjoy, Andy, is I love to solve a real world problem, not just have something that. Don't get me wrong, I love cool technology but I really love technology that solves and fixes some sort of problem. So that's why I still keep my hand in these and write an article every now and then. So Mike, why do they call it an application? <laughs> this reminds me of one of my interview questions at uh, Citrix. When I started, they would ask uh, questions like that. Like why is a manhole cover round? Yeah. The answer, if you're curious is because no matter how you turn it, it doesn't fall into the hole. So um I'm not sure I know uh, your answer as to what, what you're digging for on why it's an application, um, but, but I'll say this. They call it an application uh, probably because it applies technology to solve a problem would be my that's answer. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly why they call that an application. That's why they call putting, that's why when I put fertilizer on my yard and in the spring and the fall, it's called an application. It's taking something and solving a problem with that something. Yep. Yep. So, so good. I passed the first quiz. Well, and, and that gets me to this point. I, I love the fact that you're, you're, I'll use the main word, curious about the technology and, and understand it's all about solving business challenges, applying the software to solve the challenges. I, I, I tell people all the time, if you're in technology just to make money, then don't be in technology. It should be about your curiosity towards applying the solutions to the challenges and that's what should get you up every day. If you just get up every day to collect a paycheck, go find something you're passionate about or have curiosity about. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that's, you know, when you see folks in our industry that have long careers, I think one of the, the, the common threads as to why is exactly that. They, they never lose that curiosity about the technology or the solution or just why something works the way it does. So I, I agree with you. That's... Um, uh, but by the way, that's one of our Citrix core values is curiosity. And I think that's um, one of the reasons why it's it's so important in our segment. Yep. So the blog uh, that Mike wrote, the official title is <laughs> Getting Security and Experience to Work Together. Um, you know, Historically, we've always said it's all about user experience, all about the users. Well, in 2020, 2021, um, something has shown up that's caused us to need to trump the user experience slightly still matters. Uh, and that is, that is security. So Mike, I've got another quick question for you. And I did this on another podcast last week. What's the number one enabler of the ransomware scenario that's happening in the world today? What's going what, what, what has caused it? Well, I think, um, uh, once again, uh, I'll give you my opinion on it. You can you can share with the uh, audience what your thoughts are. I think the number one thing that has caused all this ransomware stuff really centers on um, uh, the lack of um, the the lack of discipline around security. Number one, so everything has moved into a virtual world. Our lives are entirely wrapped in it. 
And we've tried to make this balance in the world of easy, easy access and easy security. But then you have failures in it, right? Whether it's a weak password, for an example, right? Um, uh, here, here's an example. I was with some friends and they were asking what, uh, they asked me what our password methodology was for our home passwords. And one of my neighbors joked that, hey, I just add a one to the end of it, or, you know, it was, um, it was baloney and then I added one to the end of it. So now the password is baloney one and tomorrow it'll be baloney two. So I, I think when you couple all those things together, it's become easier. There's more access, there's more of our lives and more at stake, but yet I don't know that the security and the experience has evolved with it yet. Yep. So, so more data, more access, more things going on. That's, those are good points. Uh, ben, do you have a take on what's driving the ransomware scenario that we're all facing in corporate and personal today? Well, I, I'm, I'll come back to that, but I think one thing, you know, to kind of dive in a little bit, what, what Mike was diving into is I think a lot of companies have seen security as somewhat of an insurance policy that they didn't really need to buy because they were on the fringe of what could happen. You know, I mean, you have some blatant targets, but when you're looking at some of the ransomware attacks, they, they were not, you know, what I would consider big target assets. They were kind of under the radar in opinion. Now they caused a lot of headache, but I don't think those particular businesses were looking at security as one of the things they needed to concentrate on. Now that is changing and the world of security is changing, but I think, you know, businesses and, you know, you and I have both sat in chairs where we've had to help companies make decisions. I've seen companies kind of go, you know, at security platforms, that's all good and dandy, but I need to get this done or I need to get this done. And so I think there's a big paradigm shift going on with organizations that they're looking at, they have to prioritize. I think one of the things that's very interesting about this particular article is the need to prioritize the security, but not sacrifice user experience. And this is something that healthcare and banking, particularly, you know, working with stockbrokers has had to concentrate on. You don't want to pin your, you know, cash cows to where they can't make you know, revenue. And sometimes security seems to be a threat to that revenue string and you got to find that balance. So uh, I go back to, I think securities are having to, I think companies are having to get out of the mindset that security is an insurance policy. And now they're seeing it as a necessity and they're having to react to that. And some reactions are good, in my opinion. Some reactions are, man, you're just band-aiding it. You're going to have to come back and stop the wound eventually. So uh it's a different mix, Andy. I know I didn't quite answer your question, but Mike said something that triggered me to the fact of how is corporate looking at security and what's the paradigm shift that's going on in that thought process right now? Yep. So I, I would argue that what you guys are saying is 100% true in terms of the, 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 the challenge and the issues that we have. What do you, what do you think of this, this statement that money is the root of all evil, right? <laughs> that reminds me, Andy. Uh, I Jesse, Jesse James, right, the uh, Old West bank robber, was asked one time, why do you rob banks? And he said, that's because I, I rob banks because that's where the money is, right? So it's kind of the same principle here. Um, I don't know if money's the root of all evil. That's a little bit of a philosophical thing that we could spend time on. Um, but but I, think, um, I think money always matters is the phrase I would give you. But what's happened in the last three years-ish 
that's enabled these bad guys to untraceably get paid to lock down your your environment? Uh, the rise of cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is going to destabilize the entire world. And the first evidence you're seeing of that is the ability for someone on another part of the planet to come in, lock all your stuff down, you to pay them, and for them to walk away untraceable. Uh, be careful, man. We did we did invade the wallet. So there's obviously technology out there that can kind of, you know, hash into these wallets, which I'm not, I'm not, I mean, my knowledge of cryptocurrency is relatively, relatively low. I understand the blockchain from the healthcare industry, but uh, I thought that it was real interesting that the FBI was able to go back and retrieve out of the wallet. And to me, that is very interesting when you talk about, you know, how cryptocurrency can kind of disappear into the ether. Uh, that, that's raised a red flag with me. But, but you guys get my point. The ability to get paid without having to leave a, an easy paper trail is the reason why this is happening so prolifically, if that's the right word, uh, all of a sudden in our society. I do think it's lower risk, right? If you think back, if you go back, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, 20 years ago, for example, you'd have a classic spy story, right? Where if you did something like this, <clears throat> excuse me, you'd have to have a drop zone and you'd drop off cash and all that kind of stuff, right? So yeah, I think I think it does make it, to your point, Andy, it does make it easier to create the transaction and to theoretically get away. Now, uh, ben is also right that eventually the good guys catch up with the bad guys. Uh, and and what happened recently with uh, taking the money back out was pretty, pretty wild. Um, but history shows that the bad guys are always a step ahead, right? The good guys are always playing catch up. Yeah. Well, I didn't mean to sidetrack us completely on that, but I, I've thought a lot recently about how it all comes down to money. And all this is happening now because the bad guys have a way to get paid that, for the most part, allows them to get away with it. Uh, I had a situation a couple of years ago where they had to open a bank account, which the banks didn't normally allow. In this case, they did. And they just happened to close the bank account before we found the bank account within minutes of being able to trace them. In this case, they're, they're using a system that was intended to be anonymous um, to a large degree. Andy, let me pose this back no, to you. Andy. You and Ben, real quick, is um, is it money, or is it the fact that um, uh, I, I believe that data is the new oil, and so you had you know you think back two hundred years ago <laughs> when the automobile started and you had this uh, uh, industrial revolution and oil became the the biggest uh, gold mine really. So is data the new oil? Is that what's really driving it? And yes, there's a financial component to it, but is it all about the data? Mike, you've watched the podcast before, I I can tell. <laughs> that's a comment. Yeah, that's a comment Andy constantly makes on here. And so I'm going to let him answer for you, but I just thought that was funny that you said that. <laughs> yeah, no, data is the new most valuable thing on the planet. And this is a great way for people to get your valuable thing. Like Ben was talking about, his physical things, he keeps in a safe. It'd be hard to walk out with that thing. First, it'd be heavy and noticeable. Uh, you know, data is the new valuable thing. Um, you know, I, I live around a bunch of people or with a bunch of people that are always buying and selling real estate. Uh, I used to really hold myself. I used to look down on myself for not being involved in, um, in the real estate game as much as some other people. Then I started to realize the new real estate game is the cloud 
And, uh, you know, Zintegra, our company, is, is very, very relevant in the future of real estate. And that includes the data that goes in, in managing that for customers. Hey, Andy, I want to uh, I want to sidebar here for a minute, if you'll, if you'll allow me. Now, you know, we're talking a lot about money's the you know, money's really the thing that's driving some of these transactions. You know, let's look at this from a warfare perspective. I think that there's some of the some of that that's driving this. I think there's definitely countries out there that are making a deliberate effort to try to weaponize this technology, use this technology against each other. And so I do see money driving this, but I'm not convinced and, you know, call me a conspiracy theorist or whatever, but I'm not convinced that some of these fronts aren't government backed where money is part of it. But the real reason is they're seeing what they can do, man. They're seeing what kind of disruptions they can make to, you know, lives of citizens of, of countries that go through these events. And so I'm a little worried that, you know, some of the front of this is really just a blind, a, a, a calculated test for a larger attack that could come down the pipe. And that's where it really gets concerning our companies that are responsible for the basic infrastructure of our, you know, country's welfare. Are they doing everything? And I know you see some legislation coming down the pipe that's attending to address that, but that to me is more of a driver and really a bigger concern than, you know, the small transaction of ransomware that happened with the pipeline. Granted, needs to be paid attention to, but do we need to elevate and start looking at a larger picture and how are we defending that front and how are we making stances to, you know, decrease the time of outage if we do go through an event like this? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, that's that's the big fear is the destabilization and I'll go back to my comment a minute ago that the United States is stabilized primarily because we are a land of plenty and we also have a central bank. What happens when the central bank becomes online currency and it's no longer it's no longer centralized within our own country? In fact, the whole world's kind of centralized on the U.S. dollar. What happens when it's not? Massive problems coming for us Americans when that happens. Hey, so so let's use this to to jump into you know Mike's blog and talk about security blended with end user experience and and Mike I'm sure part of this is talking about the fact that the end user is probably the most susceptible part of the equation these days. Can you help us just kind of understand what you're covering in the first paragraph, just to kind of set this up, which I think we kind of maybe already did a little bit. Yeah, I think so, <clears throat> and I think you nailed it, Andy. That uh, that's probably the weakest link is at the end user, you know, the, the last mile right there. I think that's where we still see most of the uh, issues. All, all the recent ones came at the end user level. And so how do you balance that, right? And how do you get something that is secure and highly secure without making it so onerous that no one ever wants to use it? Or that uh, then you have the reverse issue where they start to do things um, to make it easier, which creates more exposure for you. So that's really what the opening is about is, is um how do we get something that strikes that right balance where it's secure, uh, but at the same time, people don't look at it as something that I'm just not going to do that because it's too darn hard. Yeah. Yeah. Our management call, we just wrapped up. We had a, a, a discussion, I'll call it a discussion about passwordless access to our, our Citrix environment uh, because we are very, uh, very much using multi-factor solutions and so do we even need to depend on the user with their password anymore? We, or can we depend on our, our multi-factor solutions to be 
smarter than our end users. Yeah, I agree. And you know, I'm using a, I'm doing this on a a device that has a I can fingerprint right. So I love that. That's awesome. I don't have to. I don't have to do too much. It's easy to use, and I feel like it's pretty secure. So I'm I'm with you. What can we do that's more like that? That adds higher levels of security, but at the same time makes it easy and makes my experience uh, really good. Yeah. While while we're recording this podcast, I've got a, a Surface Go, the small tablet, and yep. I'm upgrading that now to Windows Pro so that I can sign on into that and then single sign on into my Citrix environment, plus yep. a multi-factor push that happens in that process. Um, and I, at the end of the day, I think that's good enough. Um, and, and user experience. So, Mike, you do highlight here, which is been a common theme in our podcast of late, and that is the fact that uh, the, the the disruption that's been caused by the pandemic over the last year has led people to quickly adopt strategies that may not have had security as a forefront in the thinking and the thought process. Um, any additional comment on that? Yeah, I think you know what we saw in the last uh, fifteen months. Kind of, kind of interesting, right? I think uh, I'll use Citrix as an example. I think we felt like we had um, a really good solution when we were at the office. You know, we had uh, a secure network and an unsecure network, and then we had a way to get in if you were remote. And so we're a little bit lucky because it's what we do for a living. But it did all change even for us when everybody, when all ten thousand of us went home or to a remote location and, and had no connectivity or no access to the office. So that's really the point here is that forced all of us and all of our customers to think differently really quickly, right? And, and we saw some that adapted well, and we saw some that uh, didn't adapt well, and we saw some that were able to move quickly and be secure. But that's really um, uh, what this is about is all of a sudden, Kaboom, we were decentralized globally. Everybody was. So how in the heck do you handle that? Right. How do you make it so that people can work seamlessly from home? And and that experience of going into the office is just as simple as it is here in my home office. Right. And, and you point out here the idea that uh, you all of a sudden many people like yourself had to work 100 percent remote. I think it's interesting to have the two of you guys. I know how Ben works. Ben was uh, was 90 plus percent remote already. Mike, you were probably 80 percent in the office and 20 percent remote. Is that is that a fair uh, calculation of the numbers? And and I'd like to, you know, Ben to kind of point out what he did different, if anything. Yeah, I'll go first and then I'll let Ben chime in. You know, my, my routine was this. I was usually in the office on uh, Monday, Tuesday. That was kind of uh, if you looked at my typical week prior to covid and then Wednesday, Thursday would oftentimes be travel. It was pretty common, though. Anywhere I would go, uh, I would be anchored around a Citrix office. So it wasn't uncommon for me to travel and still be at or near a Citrix office doing something with a partner or, or with the team. So, yeah, I spent a, a fair amount of time with that anchor around the office for sure. And, Mike, what's the main thing you saw Citrix do differently once the pandemic was in full stride and change had to be made? Was it security oriented? Was it user oriented? Or was it none of the above? All the previous systems just worked fine. I think largely the systems worked really well. I think what we had to be better and have more awareness to was 
um, ensuring that we were more disciplined about things like password changes and enforcing those and enforcing um, strong passwords because now everybody's uh, in the wind. Uh, so I think the systems were not necessarily the issue. I think that we had to make sure our processes and our um, our discipline against those were, were very were very good. Um, but it, the actual transition was pretty easy, in all honesty, from a systems perspective. So, Mike, part two of that question, then I'll go over to Ben. We'll do this whole thing over again. What did Mike Fouts have to do differently as far as security or user experience for the adjusted new world? Um, What I had to do differently was uh, uh, I had to – we switched over and used some multi-factor authentication. I didn't use that a lot because I had proximity to the office. So I I had to incorporate that into my routine. Right. If if I was in an office or able to connect to a Citrix network, clearly I didn't need multi-factor. I had an authorized device. Right now I didn't. So I had to add that into my routine. Uh, I had to be a little bit more disciplined about passwords and a little more thoughtful about them. Um, But ease of use or ease of systems, uh, I didn't have much of a learning curve, to be honest. Frankly, for me, the the uh, the biggest thing were the social aspects, in all honesty. Uh, and, and the transition to not being around the team all the time. So, so Michael, I'll ask one more question since I thought of it and I, I got you on the spot here. Are you using in your home office today the same exact setup you were using before the pandemic started, or did you make some user experience tweaks like most people did? I made some user experience tweaks for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because remember, prior to this, you know, if I worked from home, it was generally on a Friday. Right. If I had traveled somewhere and I got home late Thursday night, I would oftentimes work at home on Friday. Working at home for a day is very different than working at home five days a week. So, yeah, I had to make some tweaks to things for sure. Yeah. So, Ben, same thing to you. You you came into this working mostly remote, right? Well, Andy, I I, uh, I have to really man, go back and thank you for the paradigm shift that I had to take to go from on-prem to working. So I want to talk a little bit about my pre-Citrix life where I was in healthcare and man really needed to be on site hundred percent of the time. And a lot of healthcare IT teams that I talked to, they remained on site throughout the pandemic. So I give a, a hats off to all the healthcare IT people that are out there listening. I realize that you guys didn't have work from home or your work from home looked different than what it does for Andy and Mike and I. Um, so very early, you know, when, when I met you and you, one of the things you said to me was you need to eat your own dog food. I kind of took that literally. And at that moment I started using Citrix hundred percent, whether I was in the office or out of the office. So that allowed me pre coming to Citrix to make the paradigm shift of, can I make my environment the same in office and out of office? And I was able to achieve that when I was at CNSA. When I came to Citrix, it was just an extension of that. You know, man, I was very versed to working uh, out of the office. Citrix provides me all the things that I need, either a BDI desktop if I want to work that way or, you know, applications that are running on my desk. I will tag team what Mike said in the sense of, you know, what has Citrix changed since we have made this move to work from home and predominantly remote over the last 15 months? You have seen them adjust their security posture. 
Uh, Mike, I don't know if you've experienced this, but on the SE side, man, I now have to work from an encrypted device. And it was not that way before, you know, the pandemic. So I've seen them over the last 15 months kind of tighten certain areas of the business. We now have to work from an encrypted device. You know, MFA was always a thing for me. You know, I never went into a Citrix office, so I've always had that. But to Mike's point, I've seen other employees that have kind of had to embrace that. So, you know, I, I compliment our CISO and our CIO for prioritizing security around this event and what things that Citrix has needed to do to tighten, you know, tighten our avenues of getting in. And uh, for me, I think my paradigm shift for working remotely was, uh, was done prior to coming to Citrix. Now, one last comment I will make, my work environment as far as home, I have two offices. I'm always in flux, man. I always like having something new to look at or dual monitor or bigger monitors, or now I'm working off a big 15-inch monitor. So uh, I don't think my at-home environment will ever be settled. I always see that kind of a work in progress and constantly trying to sharpen the saw. Ben, just on a on an additional note there, same question with Mike. Is there anything in either one of your offices you added over the course of the pandemic to make the user experience at the physical layer something that, that worked better for you? So I have two offices in my house. I have an, an upstairs office, which is more of a formal office. I moved my two 32-inch uh, screens up there because of my child being home for school and needing to be closer to my child. Uh, when I did that, that left a void for my office in my basement, which is really where I hang out most of the time. So I've got a nice, uh, 52 inch flat panel TV that can do 4k that I actually work off of predominantly. So if I've got like process work, I've got to do, I've got to manage my calendar. I need to do a proposal or POC. I'm usually working upstairs. If it's something that I'm consuming information, I want to read an article. I want to absorb something. I'm down here. So it's been more of what am I working on and which office do I want to work from? Yeah. So guys, moving on through the blog, uh, Mike, it kind of starts to go into the idea of number one, asking your folks and asking the companies you guys are working with where user experience plays in. And then you've got um, a comment here from one of your other partners, um, Matt over at third octet, um, where he calls out that the user experience will be the sustainability that drives whether the security pieces stick or don't stick, like users will push back, right? So Citrix is going out talking to its customers, its partners, um, about whether or not user experience is going to uh, play a large role in whether security items are going to be sticking or not. Um, how, how did you guys go about doing that? Well, here's... Um... So, so I think I look at it this way, Andy, and I have a little bit different view than some others, probably because of my background and, and uh, the job that I do on a daily basis. So here, here's how I view it is, I think, um, I don't think that Citrix is a pure play security company. I think we have secure offerings and that's one of the principles and the guiding principles and foundations of our solutions. But I think that partners like Zintegra uh, play the critical role to me, which is helping a customer find out where that balance line is and, and what works and what doesn't. Everybody's going to have different needs. Every company's in a different maturity level and life cycle level and 
tolerance for security. And I think that's really where the partner comes in to help look at the at the solution and, and say, okay, hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe um, uh, this is the right thing and you need a little bit more granular or higher level of security, or maybe you don't, right? But that's the expertise that somebody like Zintegra brings to the table. So um, for me, I, I look at it that way. I, I think that somebody needs to sort through and help figure out the varying degrees and the layers that a customer really needs to be successful. So this next section is going to talk about zero trust. I'll, I'll take that comment Mike just made and put it over to Ben. Ben, if I adopt a true Citrix workspace with uh, x86 read-only apps or read-only desktops or reboots back to a gold image or isolation or zero trust position, uh, SaaS with analytics, what if Citrix isn't, like Mike said, a full-blown security company, what how much of a security company is it? Give me give me a number. Is it what percentage would you say Citrix really does align with being a security play? Well, uh, I'm not gonna put a percentage on it. That's that's dangerous, and I wouldn't want our listeners to come back and, and put paint me and you in a corner, but this is what I will say. Um, I think that the way the product is designed inherently increases the security posture of an organization. And this is how, um, you know, I talk to a lot of CIOs that they miss the days of build the perimeter and everything that's behind my perimeter is secure. Uh, now that you've gotten cloud out there, the perimeter has, you know, man spread out and sometimes you don't own that perimeter, but where Citrix really lands, from a security posture, and, and I'm taking the analytics out of it. I'm just looking at the you know pure, you know virtual apps and desktops offering. Is we can go to companies and we can go with our solution. It's not a direct connection into the environment like a VPN. You know when I hear companies use VPN, some of them think that they're as secure as they can be, and I just look at them and go, you just extended your security risk and your security posture out to the endpoint, And we've all seen how disastrous that can be. Let's bring that security posture back into what's controllable on our end. I don't think any solution is ever going to hundred percent control the endpoint or what the end user is going to be able to do that. So let's give them a window is what I refer to it as to the environment. And we can control that window. And that's exactly what Citrix does. So when you strip away all the security offerings that we do have, you know, the the uh, SIA, the analytics packages, if you just kind of put them on the shelf and you just look at our raw product offering, I think the fact that we can create this window and we can create a secure window to allow people to have access into the environment where their endpoint is not physically sitting on it, that, in my opinion, is is a win. And I see a lot of companies that are deploying our systems that don't realize that's the power that we have. And this whole zero trust idea comes into play with that. We're looking at making every step the user does through the environment accountable, monitorable. And when you get our other security offerings involved in it, our SIA platform or analytics platform, you're then able to do some remediation of those footsteps. So again, I look at it as what is the base product the base product itself provides a secure environment by limiting what access the user has and really ability to ignore their endpoint 
And then if you drop that with our security products, you know, then you just got a full tilt, uh, you've got a full tilt arsenal to try to man, make you as defensible as possible. Yeah. So a lot of times I ask that question of Citrix people and they answer just like you guys do, because you got to be careful not to talk about Citrix products being an end solution for security. Uh, but I feel like Citrix and the solutions that get lumped into it and the implementations that get lumped into it along the lines of what Mike was talking about is really 80% of what you need for a zero trust type user experience um, that still gives the user an experience that they can accept and enjoy and use. Uh, but it's not just an automatic, you know, super easy. Uh, you do have to log in. You do have to multi-factor. You do have to work from a presented controlled virtual environment, cloud, if you will. Um, but I mean, I, I put the number around 80% or higher. If you implement a solution that includes Citrix and all the best practices and other components that go with it, you guys, how, how do you guys feel about that generalization number? I think that's fair, Andy. I think, um, uh, that's how, that's generally how I look at it. I'm like, Ben, I, I kind of shy away from advertising a number, but I think you have the expertise looking at all the solutions. So I think, I think that number is totally fair. And, um, uh, you know, then it becomes, okay, with that other 20%, what do I really want or what do I really need? Right. Yeah. Some, some of that goes back to the old school stuff Ben was talking about just securing the perimeter, yeah. Um, you know, I could I could make the the status quo joke right now. Let me let me secure my device, which is a currently at this very moment a, a Google Chrome operating system PC. The only way I can truly secure it is to run around and disconnect the network cable from the back. <laughs> That's not going to work too well for this this Zoom session we're having at the moment. Right. But think about when you're in a public library and you're needing to use our portal to get in to check something. We've got no control over over that endpoint, nor will we, will we ever have control over that endpoint. Now, you know, there's there's a few things, and and I'll say this: I, that I have a few wish lists, wish list things that I wish Citrix, you know, would would delve into. The ADCs is one. Man, those things are Swiss Army knives. I wish we would extend that product where it could act like a next generation firewall, because I think the horsepower's there and the groundwork's there. And so I look at our our SIA product, and I, I, I kind of look at our developers and go, man, we need to bring some of that SIA functionality and load that into our ADC so then we could look at our customers and go, the ADC now can not only do your north-south traffic, but now we can do east-west traffic like we treat your north, your north and south traffic. So those are some of the things that I think really make our product good. Another thing we don't really talk about, and this dives down to the endpoint, is we might not control the endpoint or we might not really care about the endpoint as far as a management stake, but with our ADCs, we can do endpoint analysis on those endpoints and we can actually analyze and kind of do a, you know, security filter to go, we don't know what this device is and that's okay, but can we kind of test this device on certain security levels to make sure they at least meet a certain standard to allow them in? And so I just look at our ADC product and go, that product alone has a lot of very sweet security products built within it that hit a lot of sweet spots when it comes to healthcare, finance. But I also look at our company and go, we've got this C offering, which is doing great for north and south traffic. Let's bring that down to the ADC and let's make that where we can start to do east-west traffic. And then again, that increases our story, you know. 
not only are we providing a comprehensive avenue for outside to in or inside to out, but now we're doing a comprehensive story of going left to right in your organization, which is where some vulnerabilities are. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. When you start talking about the ability to go out and find SMB shares and lock them up, what if you could use some of that technology to, to front end those SMB shares as an example? Is that what you mean by East-West, Ben, an example? Yes, sir. I, that's exactly what I mean for East-West. Like we, we're in a conversation with a uh, college right now. And, you know, one of the things they're needing to do is they're needing to secure their web servers from their students. And when you're in the dorm of the college, that's considered, you know, on-prem. And so their their problems go beyond just, you know, north and south. You know, most businesses, how do I secure my employees getting out to the Internet? These guys are actually looking at how can I secure the students within our own environment? Uh, Andy, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. We'll sidebar here for just one quick second. I never knew the value of having educational customers until Friday when I had lunch with one. Uh, you know, that CIO convinced me that, man, I need to be paying more attention to what our educational customers are doing because they really are the testing ground for all the industries that we protect. So if you want to get a good idea of what Citrix products can do, implement it in a college because it's going to be expected to do healthcare, finance engineering. And so I, I learned a lot Friday by meeting with a CIO uh, from an educational environment. And he really kind of let us know that if you really want to see how well the product does, look at what it's doing in your educational environments, because it's probably hitting all of the, uh, all of the verticals that we're going to see out in the wild. So, so Ben, I'll take it one step for, further. Uh, local government and education are great places couple of reasons. One, they have departments and use cases all over the spectrum. And the other part, going back to what Mike and yourself and I were talking about earlier, a lot of times those people are working in those organizations because they're passionate about the, the solutions and solving challenges, not because they're out you know, chasing the biggest paycheck on the planet. They, they love finding stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I agree, man. You're absolutely right. Hey, Mike, we're uh, we're starting to run low on time. I think uh, I really want to come back to you with this. And this is the section here at the end where you're talking about uh, how do we go and have these conversations with the C-suite so that CEO, COO, uh, chief user, chief user experience, uh, chief experience officers, uh, CISO, how do we bring all this together so that this perfect blend of user experience and security starts to align with with solving challenges that we know they have. And I'm sure at this point, they're really starting to know they have. Yeah, Andy, I think, I, here's who I think is gonna be the big winner. I think those that can go and um, uh, paint a picture for the C-level and, uh, you know, listen, this can get super technical in a real big hurry, right? But if you can go in and paint a picture for the problem it's gonna solve and how you're gonna do it and, uh, and have, uh, the backing of a company like a Citrix and as Integra, for example, that have done this and done it at scale. I, I think that's how I think that's how we win in this. Uh, I, I think people sometimes get too technical too early at that level, and uh, and, and the, the C level kind of loses either interest or pushes it down, and they might not understand the real business ramification that's that is going to occur. So I think. It's not only the what, it's the how and what it means to them. 
And, and I also think, you know, now there's lots of examples of what happens if I do nothing. If I'm a C-level executive at a customer and I do nothing, what happens? Uh, here's what happens, right? You end up on the front page of a major newspaper. You end up uh, with an oil pipeline down. Like there's all sorts of examples. So I think uh, now it's it's um, it's not just hidden in the back room and, oh, uh, something happened and we'll figure it out. Now it's front page news. So I think the ability to articulate, hey, here's the solution that will prevent this bad thing from happening is the key. And, and use the word prevent. I know I know how your mind works. It, it'll help prevent, right? We can not 100%. Yeah. You at yeah. least got to do this much. And, and, you know, you and I have been around each other a long time. It, 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 a lot of times it comes down to simplifying the message. And the way I simplify the message now for my salespeople and for the C-level people we're talking to, yeah, it's not if, it's when and it's right. how often. So not if, but when and how often. And if you're not doing something about it all the time to continue to tweak, uh, as you know, I'm a racing guy. So even when you're up and when you're winning the race by 20 seconds, you still got to be figuring out what you're going to work on next because it's always changing. Um, You know, that that mantra of not if, but when and how often is um, really boils the message down. So everybody within that should be able to understand it. Yeah, you're exactly right, Andy. Well, guys, I, I appreciate you joining, Mike. It's been a long time since we've had this type of discussion. I look forward and uh, welcome the opportunity to do it again someday. I'm honored to join this. I've heard a lot about it. So uh, thank you, Andy, for having me as a guest. I really appreciate it. Mike, anything uh, while we've got listeners that might uh, that might uh, have insight into who you are and what you do, anything that you'd want to get out there as far as you know what's coming? Uh, well, I think what, what's coming in the... Um, uh, I'll, I'll speak uh, as a representative of Citrix. I think what's coming is Citrix has been really great at uh, where to work, right? That's what our solutions do. We allow you to work anywhere on any device, and, and we've talked about that. And I think what you're going to see coming up is the how we work. And I think that's going to help round out what we do and, and add a ton of value. So you'll see Citrix not only with uh, the solutions for where, but also how we work. Um, so that, that's, that's a little sneak preview into the second half of the year and what's coming up. Okay, great. Hmm. Um, can, can we have a Citrix Synergy in person next year? Can you commit to doing that? You're the highest ranking person we've ever had. <laughs> if, if I have no with it, I would love to be in person. You know it. Yeah. All right. Ben, anything from All your right. side? Nah, Andy, it's always a great pleasure to be on the podcast. I always end up meeting interesting people like Mike. Mike, glad to virtually meet you. Hopefully one day you and I will get to shake your hand. And, uh, you know, my last comment to all this, you know, just with the users is, I mean, I talk to a lot of C-levels and, and what C-levels are needing is is they need plans that can be tested and monitored and evaluated against, you know, so as I'm out there talking to these solutions, particularly security solutions, you know, security gets into DR and BCP, and we, we didn't talk a lot about that, but I want to I give something to the C-levels that I can go, hey, here's how we solve the problem, but here's how we can make sure that we're able to test that this problem doesn't, doesn't crop up, or here's how you can monitor it. And, and I had a CIO say something to me that was very prolific the other day. I can only report on what I can monitor. If I can't monitor it, I can't report on it. And that's, you know, he struck a nerve with me. 
they need visibility and insight to these environments and they need to ensure that that insight and visibility is always there and i do believe that's something our product set does and so uh i've, I've been challenged by that statement been thinking a lot about that statement and so as i uh, go back into the field from digesting that I mean, I'm looking at more of, you know, how can we provide these solutions and solve these problems and post that, how we, how can we continue to bring that value that we did in the beginning? And that involves companies like yours, Andy, because, uh, you know, there'll be more product sets than just Citrix that has to do into that, you know, 30,000 foot security view of an organization. So Ben, I'm going to change your your words slightly, not product set, but solution sets. And I think that's the biggest pitch from a Citrix perspective is you're not buying a product, you're buying a set of solutions that continue to evolve that understand user experience and security have to go hand in hand as a balanced attack. Very true. Well, guys, with that, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. I appreciate you joining. We'll do it again. Thanks, Andy. See you guys.